All right, we're going to invite you to start making your way back to your seats. Wow, that's the fastest you've ever done that. Normally, you just ignore me. That was amazing. <laughs> as you uh, make your way back, we want to invite you to once again look at the screens as we turn to our scripture reading for the day. I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Would you pray with me as we start? God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us your words to study, to remember who you are, and uh, to remember what you taught. And Lord, you did it for our good. It, it's not to become more moral or controlled or anything, but it's to experience this life that you bring. And a life that is... Uh, like being connected to a vine. And so today, God, we thank you for that. And we pray that you transform and change and shape our hearts as we dive in and look at your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, many of you know uh, some parts about me. You get to hear a little bit about me almost every week. But one of the things is uh, I love to grow things in the garden. Um, and it could be because both my parents were farmers and I grew up uh, helping or working on the farm every summer. And um, also, it, or I just like the satisfaction of putting seeds in the ground and, and watching something grow that you can actually, in my case, often feed to the gophers. But um, in theory, that they become something that, that you get to produce your own food. But there's something just satisfying about that. Um, and I love, I have a bunch of fruit trees. I love to have the fruit trees. But there are times when, uh, some of the trees don't do what I want them to do. And now, my current house that I'm in, a lot of the trees are young, but I I've had fruit trees before that just, they weren't producing fruit no matter how much I told them they needed to. And, and, and no matter what I tried to do, and I remember there was a year when there was a tree that um, wasn't, it was an orange tree, and it just had never produced any fruit. And I remember telling my family, they weren't, I don't know if they were listening, but like, this, this is the last, I'm done with that tree. I'm, I'm digging it up, cutting it down, and it's done. And I never did that year 
but I ignored it. I'm like, I'm not even going to take care of it. I'm, I'm, this tree is a worthless tree. I bought a bad tree. It doesn't produce fruit. So I ignored it. I didn't water it. I didn't touch it. I just left it there. And that year, it produced more fruit than I've ever seen. And I started learning, and there's this technique that sometimes a tree needs to be shocked. Sometimes it's through pruning it. Sometimes um, people, I've heard they've literally shocked trees before. Don't go home and do this and blame me later if you kill your trees. Don't do that. Um, but there's, there's something that sometimes the trees need to be uh, forced into producing fruit. And often it is through pruning. In this case, it was through neglect. I don't know why. It, it probably just thought, okay, this guy is serious. We're going to start producing but when we're thinking of that, and any of you who like to grow things, it's interesting that Jesus chooses this analogy of being a gardener as God the Father and talks about us as the branches that produce fruit that we're looking at today. And as we look at this, for maybe some of you, this is just such a familiar metaphor if you've been around Christianity for a long time. It's something that you know well. It, it's something that's, that you hear and you, and, and you go, I get this. I, this is a, a very popular verse by Jesus. But this is the final of his I am statements in the book of John. And in it today, we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. And you're going to see, you're going to hear familiar themes that we've talked about before. And the reason they're familiar is because Jesus keeps saying them over and over again with new analogies. But today what I want to do is uh, allow ourselves to be open to this idea of what does it really mean to be connected to the vine? What does it really mean to be connected to Jesus in a way that fruit is produced in our life? And what does that even look like? So that's what we're going and what we're going to do today. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles and uh, we are in John chapter 15. And uh, even as we start that, I'd just like to make a quick note. Um, the kingdom, upside down kingdom groups that have been announced the last few weeks, if you are not in a life group and you're saying, hey, I, don't, I can't be in a group the next six weeks, but I, I want to follow along and, and, and go through the studies, you're welcome to grab one of these. And there actually are, is a space for uh, sermon notes in there each week if you want to use those. Um, for the future weeks, or even this week if you already grabbed yours. So just thought I'd make that note. Uh, jumping in, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every fruit that does, or every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So remain in me and I in you, just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the, the vine. So neither can you produce fruit unless you remain in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus starts off with this analogy. And... Again, he's been using metaphors for his life uh, time after time. This is of the I am statements that we've seen. This is the final one. And every time he takes on a metaphor, he's using imagery that would have been familiar to the Jewish hearers of the time. He's taking metaphors that they would say, oh, I get what you're saying. Sometimes it was offensive because they got what he was saying more so than for us. For example, he says, I'm the bread of life. The bread of life, he was saying, hey, I know that in the desert uh, that you were sustained through uh, this miraculous bread that God provided for you during this exodus. It's a story in the Old Testament. And, but I am the bread of life. I am the one who will sustain you. I am that miracle who will give you life day after day. He, he one time said, I, I am the door. 
meaning all of your religion, all of your rules, everything that you think is the access into being a part of God's kingdom is insufficient, but I am the door. I am the access. If you go through me, then you have access to this kingdom of God. So every time he takes on this metaphor, it was language that they would understand. It was connected to something else, and then he would apply it to himself, say, I'm the better version. I'm the fulfillment of this, of what you're waiting for. And today, when we see, he says, I am the vine, it is the same idea that he, of all the other metaphors, that he is replacing something and even making it more impactful. And what we find here is it starts off with Jesus starting and saying like, hey, I want you to know that I am the source of life. I am the source of life for you, is what he starts saying, that if you're not connected to me, then you're not going to find life. You can try to pursue it. You can look for it through uh, your religion, through good behavior, being around the right people, saying the right things, making the right sacrifices, but none of that is going to give you life. You're going to find it in me. Now, he uses this interesting imagery of being the vine. Now, in the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament, every time there's a vine or a vineyard, it is applied to the nation of Israel. It's meant to be who Israel is. In fact, look at Psalm uh, chapter 80, verse 8. We have this for you. And it, it says, You removed a vine from Egypt, speaking about Israel when they were in slavery. You drove out the nations and you planted the vine. You cleared the ground before it. And it took deep root and it filled the land. So this idea of the vine is always in the Hebrew scriptures applied to Israel. Now, it also always is connected to prophecy in a negative term, saying, you're the vine, and you're not producing the fruit that I want you to produce in your lives. So as a nation of Israel, you've been called to represent the character and the ways of God, the justice and compassion and uh, love, and all of the ways that they have read about and experienced that are part of the character and the heart of God— as the nation continued to struggle and fail in that, the prophecies would say, you are a vine that produces bad fruit, or you're a wild vine that's producing no fruit. It's not good fruit. So this is, in all of the cases of the prophecy in the Old Testament that has vineyard, it comes out in a negative term. So then Jesus comes, and he says, I am the true vine, Essentially saying, I am the representation of the life that God has designed you to live. What Israel was called to do, they failed to do, but in me, you are going to see the fullness of this. I'm going to show you what it looks like to walk in the ways of the Father and to glorify Him. And we talked a few weeks ago, that's a churchy word, right? Glorify is this word that means to uh, kind of put the character on display, so Jesus says, in my life, God's character is on display perfectly. I'm demonstrating that to you. So where you failed as a nation and as a people, I now am the perfect fulfillment of that. So again, he's just speaking to his disciples in this case. If he preached that um, in the temple in, during Passover when it's crowded, you could see what would do to the crowd. They would start saying, wait, what are you saying? You're saying we've failed and you are the only fulfillment? And Jesus would say, yes, I am. But here he's talking to his disciples saying, hey, our people 
Jesus, the disciples, who are Jews, said, we have failed to produce the fruit God's called us to. We failed to live the life that he's designed us to live. But I am that perfect fulfillment. I am doing for you what you could not do on your own. If that sounds familiar to you, if you've heard that before at Seacoast, that's because we say it often because we want you to know that. That Jesus comes in where we fall short, and he's that perfect fulfillment for us. But now I want you to see a few things that he says. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he cuts it off. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus then, with the analogy, says, I want you to know you're connected to me, but if you're not producing any fruit, in other words, there's no evidence in your life that you're part of this kingdom of God, then you'll be cut off. And you think, okay, cool, as long as I bear fruit, then I'm good, right? But notice what Jesus said. And everyone who bears fruit, in other words, is produced, living a life that is giving evidence of one who's living in the, the, by the ways of the kingdom of God, you will be pruned so you can bear more. Have you ever pruned a tree and ever thought, how does a tree feel right now as I prune it? There's a reason trees bear more fruit when you prune them because it shocks them in a way and it tells them that to survive, we have to now start to produce. And it takes uh, the energy from the weak branches and it puts it onto the strong ones. Jesus is saying, even you as Christians who are following in my ways, who are bearing fruit and there's evidence, even you will be pruned. Sound good? (laughs) You might say, well, what does that mean? I believe it means that God uses circumstances in our lives to shape us and change us and give us opportunity for the fruit to show even more. Now, what is that fruit? Uh, we, we did a study a couple summers ago called uh, the, the Path of Life, or the Good Life, sorry, and it was all about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. That would be an idea of the evidence, fruit being the evidence of what type of tree it is. And so the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're told that this is the fruit, this is the evidence of someone walking in the kingdom of Jesus and living his ways. And as we produce that, he says, oh, and I'll prune you so you can produce even more. If you think back through your life, and I think through mine, some of the times that have been the most challenging are the times when evidence of a life in Christ is tested. It it might be a season, I I know even in our years of marriage, we've had seasons with just not as many finances, where we were struggling that way, and we had a test. It was a test, do we trust that God is still on his throne, even when our income isn't as big as maybe it used to be, or it will one day be? And with three kids, do we still trust God or do we go inward and say, no, Lord, I need, I need to trust myself here. There's times, of, well, I would say any of us in leadership, starting in about this time of year in 2020, we went through a series, a season of testing, right? And, and even pruning in some way to say, okay, what is patience going to look like for you now? What does gentleness look like for you, Ryan? You think you have that fruit, but now let me give you some practice with that. I'm going to prune you for a while. And, and, and so now we have this global pandemic with people thinking about it very differently. And so let's see if you can be gentle with those who agree with you. Yeah, that's easy. 
Okay, now let's see if you can be gentle with those who don't agree with you. A little harder. Let's see if that you can be patient with people who you don't understand their perspective. And all of a sudden, these things are put on a real, a time, a real everyday display of this fruit. God is saying, I'm going to put you through a season of pruning, of testing. Um, parents, if you have kids, you brought it upon yourself, but that is a season of testing your Christian fruit. <laughs> we have this opportunity as parents of, of, of practicing all of those, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those are on display or tested in the life of a parent. I think of uh, probably most of you, and if you're in the workforce, depending on what you do, you're tested and pruned daily. How will you respond? And that's how God uses those to actually produce more fruit in you. But I want to give you some hope. Because when you hear that, you say, well, what about the times when I fall short? What about the times I fail? Does that mean that I'm not in the kingdom of God? Now, I want you to see very clearly here what Jesus says in the middle of all this in verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So in the midst of this saying, produce fruit, remain in me, abide in me, he says, but I want you to know you're already clean because of this word I've spoken to you. This harkens back to chapter 13, where he says that you are clean because of my work in your life. Jesus is saying, hey, this fruit is not, it's evidence of a life in me, but that's not what will save you. My life, my words, my works are what saves you and makes you clean. The fruit is what comes as a result. And so in the middle of that, he just has this verse about, oh yeah, I want you to know, you are already clean. Because if the disciples are hearing that, they're starting to think, wait a minute, produce fruit uh, that other day when I just slipped up. We know that by the end of this day, Peter is going to deny Jesus and call down curses on himself. Say, I swear I don't know him. Curse me if I ever met Jesus. That's, that's coming. That's not evident. That's not fruit of someone walking in the kingdom of God. Would you agree? But Jesus assured him, said, hey, but you're already clean, so there's going to be times you're going to slip up. I want to just reassure you, the source of life is in me, not in your works. But your works are showing this evidence that you are in my kingdom. So remain in me. Paul picked up on this language in a different way. He said it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I want you to see it. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, this life I now have is so interconnected to the vine that it's no longer even my life living, but it's Christ living in me. And we learned last week, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you hope that a life of a Christian is a life connected to the vine of Jesus, and now his life in you is what's putting or, or what's lived out and puts that fruit on display. And just a word of caution, I'd love to just say this. Let's not be a church who looks around and judges how good your fruit is compared to everyone else around here. I do that to my neighbors when I walk my dog. I'm like, why is their trees working so well or whatever? And I have this pomegranate tree that actually produces pomegranates. I had a friend mad at me the other day, like, really? How'd you do that? It's like, I don't know. Just worked hard at it. I don't know. But let's not do that to each other and say, you know what? The fruit of Christ in my life is so much better than theirs. So 
Every once in a while I might mess up, but at least my fruit's producing. You know, so we don't, we don't want to live that way. Um, because we're all in this and we're going to have our ups and downs. But it is Christ in us that the life that we see, that fruit, that happens. And it's produced through the Spirit in us and through times of testing is when it's going to produce even more. So it starts, we need to start with knowing Jesus is the source of all the life. It's not you, your works, your morality, any of it. Let's go back into the text. Let's jump down to verse 7. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Sounds good, doesn't it? It says, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So again, God's character is glorified, put on display when we bear much fruit, when we remain in Jesus. Now, a little bit of this. Jesus talks about remain in me. Let me just say, this is an active word in Greek. It's an active imperative that is telling us that this doesn't happen on accident. That remaining in Jesus is something that we want to actively choose to do and do. And so there's this idea of staying connected to the vine. Now, I don't think, I don't believe my theology would tell us that every time you fail or you have a, a, a rough season in your life, that all of a sudden you fall off the vine. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. You can't undo his finished work in you. But to be someone who's producing fruit, there's this active imperative to remain in Christ, to actually build that relationship. Last week, I used the analogy when we were talking about what it looked like to have evidence of your love, I used the analogy of a marriage. If I told my wife I, I love her, but I never followed the, quote, rules of our marriage, I never uh, did anything that she would want for me to do, uh, you know, picking up after myself, following through with the things I said I do, all of those things, uh, caring for her, and vice versa, if she never did that for me, I'd say, are, are you sure you really love me? But it goes beyond just behavior, it goes beyond just obedience, it goes to something more that says, you know what, I want to cultivate this relationship. Friends, if you want a healthy marriage, you have to invest in one another. You have to actively pursue that relationship. Would you agree? Okay, agree with me. You don't have to, but you should agree because that's how you do it. It's something you have to continue to work on. Same thing in the friendship. Obviously, your friendship isn't going to grow if you became friends on Instagram, and then you're like, oh, that's good enough, and then you meet one day, you're like, hey, we're such good friends. I saw you post that picture of your breakfast, or whatever, so... You gotta invest in that relationship. And so when Jesus says, remain in me, this is an imperative, uh, active imperative saying, that's something that I want you to continue to pursue. And some of the basics of Christian faith, I believe, work here. Prayer life. Invest in a prayer life. Connecting with God through prayer. Now some of you, we have people at Seacoast who get up and spend like an hour a day in prayer. It's amazing. Others of you, you start doing that and you wake up an hour later, right? So it's something you have to grow and develop, but don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Continue to pursue that. Studying the word of God is another thing, that you can remain in Christ. Get to know his words and his ways. And you're gonna have different ways that will help you do that. But we wanna actively pursue that relationship. So we start with the source of life. But now Jesus starts saying, if you remain in me, uh, you prove to be my disciples, just as the Father loved me, I've loved you, so remain in my love. Now, verse 10, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments, remain in his love. 
These things I have spoken so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is now starting to say, not only are we talking about the source of life, but now what is that evidence of life? What is it, how do we know we're experiencing that? And he gives us a few things. The first one is joy. Well, I'm doing them kind of in backwards order, but he says, joy is one of the things that you will find the evidence of life. Now, for a Christian, joy is an attitude that we adopt. I want you to get that. Joy is an attitude that we adopt. It's not because of happy circumstances, but joy is because of our hope in God's promises. Not because of happy circumstances, but hope in God's promises. It's a decision we have to make. And there's times of growth in our lives when we're tested to experience joy that that fruit is produced even more. I remember a few years ago, um, I was going to actually attend a funeral of a family friend. And the day before it, there was a pastor and an elder, elderly gentleman from uh, Austria who flew in to perform the funeral. He and his wife flew in to perform the funeral. And on their trip while they were there, before the funeral, they had a car accident and his wife died. And I remember meeting with, so then I went to meet with him because he said, I can't do this. I, I, can you step in? I was like, of course, I'll step in and do it. So I met with him. And uh, this man named Peter Vigand, I remember hanging out with him and hearing his story and how he responded. And I was blown away that there was a joy. There wasn't a happiness. There wasn't a, oh, no big deal. I said, how are you even functioning right now? You're away from home. You're on the other side of the globe. You had this tragedy. You came for a friend's funeral to perform it. What are you doing? And he, through his wisdom of 80-some years of life and walking with Jesus, described how fruit was produced in his life, how he's learned, and he and his wife would start every day learning that, hey, this might be our last. And so let's spend it well, live it well together, and let's trust that God is in control. And I remember as he's telling this to me, I was just thinking, I've never seen this kind of Christian fruit on display so clearly in a time of great tragedy. It was amazing to sit and learn and be challenged by the fruit of joy in his life. And again, it wasn't a happiness. It wasn't the flippancy. It was a deep-seated joy that said, I choose to hope in God's promises in the midst of these circumstances. So Jesus says, I give you my joy. He's also, next chapter, going to say, you're going to have tribulations. So he's not saying that, oh, and my joy means life is going to be easy. He says, no, life is going to be tough, but I give you my joy. It's incredible evidence of life in Christ. The other thing he says is love is going to be evidence. Look at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. We've, we've seen this quite a bit in the last few weeks. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. So the evidence of the fruit of, of being, remaining in Jesus, another piece of evidence is love. And again, I believe all the fruit of the Spirit, but these are the ones Jesus is calling out. Love is evidence of it. How we love one another. How we walk with one another. We joke today, we have the Super Bowl, so we jo joke about Christian love, uh, uh, you know, being a Kansas City fan or a San Francisco fan, but the truth is that there's a lot of other bigger issues in life that we are going to be tested in our love. And Jesus says, hey, 
laying down your life, being able to serve one another is evidence of remaining in me, being connected to the vine. It does something. It transforms you. It allows you to care for someone and, and love someone that you're different than. Beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Beautiful picture of the kingdom. That's why I've, uh, we talk about often, I really believe that from the very beginning, the family of Jesus, or the kingdom of Jesus was about Jew and Gentile together. There was this inclusion. There was this uh, racial reconciliation that was so foreign to that ancient world, so foreign sometimes to our world. It's at the heart of, of the kingdom of God. It's a tangible, visible display of the power of Jesus in us. That's why it should be so important to us to be, to be a community where we're embracing and loving each other through differences. He goes on and says this in verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He just said, hey, greater love is no one than to lay down your life for your friend. And he says, and you're my friends if you're walking in my ways. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I call you friends. Because of all the things that I have heard from my father, I have now made known to you. So I want you to see this. Evidence of a life connected to Jesus is also friendship with God. There's friendship. It's not this, we should fear and revere God, but not in a way that we're just waiting for punishment. But there's this intimacy, this friendship. It's an incredible picture that Jesus gives. Friends with God? In, in the ancient world, in the Roman um, Empire, as well as um, some of the other ancient Near Eastern empires, there was this practice called being a friend of the emperor, friends of the emperor, or friends of the king. It was an actual title. It was a formal arrangement in the Ro Roman Empire where you could be friends with the emperor, and it means that if you d had that title, you had more access to the emperor than even his closest advisors. And, and it meant that you were invited into every conversation, and you could even go into the bedroom of the emperor anytime you wanted if you had the status of being friends of the emperor. I love that Jesus used that picture because I believe that translates to our life. We are friends with God. We have access to our Father. I believe uh, Pastor Dom used that analogy once of you and I aren't invited into his bedroom, <laughs> but his kids can go in to see him there. It's that picture of that intimacy and closeness that God has, gives to us as I invite you in. So we see the evidence through friendship. Now, Jesus goes on and he says this, verse 18. So we saw the source of life. We saw evidence of life. Now, look in verse 18. Jesus says, it, I want you to know, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So if you were of the world, the world would not, or the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, uh, because of this, the world hates you. So Jesus ends this whole thing about remain in me, stay connected to me. Here's evidence of my life. And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, if you do this, the world's going to hate you. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Way to go. Sometimes changes our flannel graph vision of who Jesus is, doesn't it? Of just everything's nice and cute and sweet. Because like, yeah, that's, this is the reality. And this doesn't mean everyone in the world hates you because you're a Christian. I have a lot of non-Christian friends who do not hate me because of my faith. Actually, it opens up the door to a lot of wonderful conversations. But in general... Is the world saying, oh, we would love more Christians and Christian worldview and Christian morality on display? Are we living in a world where people are saying, hey, I, we should just go back to the Bible and walk in the ways of Jesus as a globe? The answer is no, it's not happening. 
So the world will misunderstand us. Jesus encourages us with that, to remind us of it. So as we think about, so we see Jesus tells us where the source is, the evidence, and then he says, I want you to know there's struggles in life that you will experience. Those struggles are the time that teach us to produce fruit. You know, I have this uh, olive branch here, and um, cut it off a tree, and I was thinking, you know, it'd be great is if we just keep this in here, and we just pray a lot for this branch, um, pray that it produces fruit. And um, so I'm going to keep it in here a while, and just really work hard to make this branch produce fruit. It's like, I, I think if we pray for it every day, um, maybe, right? If we, we really dive deep, we could get this thing to, to, to produce fruit. Which you guys, it's an obvious illustration, right? This branch, no matter what I do, is never going to produce olives because it's not connected to the vine. Friends, some of you feel like, some of you, this is analogy of your life. You haven't been grafted into Christ. And you wonder why it's so hard to walk in the ways of Jesus. Maybe for others of you, you, you know you're connected to Jesus, but you feel like this branch. And you think, if I could just oh, try hard enough and just, I don't know, put all my energy in, then all of a sudden this fruit will come, but you're missing a vital element of producing fruit. And the last, the vital element is in how Jesus ends this passage, this last verse I want to show you in John chapter 15, verse 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, namely the spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me, and you are testifying as well, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus ends this by reminding us of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He reminds us that we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And so just like this branch, we think if we just somehow dig deep, we can produce fruit. If it's not connected, if it's not connected into the Spirit, it's not connected into God and who He is, it just is always going to fall short. So He leaves us with that reminder to produce fruit. I'm going to invite our worship team to start making their way back up here. Because we're going to do something here in a minute. We're going to transition to baptisms. And here's what I love about baptism. They're evidence of Jesus, people being grafted in, and Jesus starting to produce fruit in a branch that would be dead without him. That baptisms for us are a reminder that we are alive in Christ, that it is Christ in us that all of a sudden with God and his spirit in us that we can actually have vibrant life and we're not going to die and wither and if I, in two, three weeks from now, this thing will still be growing because it's connected in. And so baptisms remind us that now we are alive in Christ. So friends, today as we end and we celebrate these professions of faith, for some of you, I want you to think back to the time when you profess faith in Christ. You are in Him. You're connected to the vine. That's who you are. And maybe for some of you, if you see these professions of faith and you say, I feel like I'm this dead branch that's disconnected, maybe today is the day that you can make a decision. That you want to be alive in Christ. 
And so I'm going to take a moment just to pray, and then we're going to transition to our uh, baptism time. We have a couple people being baptized here in this service, and um, we're going to celebrate that. But let me pray for you first before we do that. Lord God, we thank you so much that when we think of being connected to the vine, that Lord, you give us this analogy and you fill it up to just remind us time and time again that you are our source of life. That you are the one who gives us everything we need and apart from you, we can do nothing. And so Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room today who's striving and struggling and working and working on their own, trying to be good, trying to be moral, trying to follow rules. And Lord, they're not connected to you and you're inviting them into a relationship. Lord, for anyone who's wanting to make that step today, would you lay heavy on their heart? They need to be connected into you. And if that's you today and you want to begin your journey of faith, would you pray in the quietness of your heart along with me right now and just pray these prayers, this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I invite you to be Lord of my life. I ask that I could be connected to you as the vine, the source of life. And for any of you today who you feel like you're connected to Jesus, but there's just no evidence of that fruit, that you're struggling, that you're going, I just want to pray a prayer over you. And just pray, God, for those who are in Christ, yet feeling like that there's no fruit, there's no joy, there's no love, they don't feel like they're friends with you, God, would you renew your spirit in us? Lord, would you pour out this awareness of your presence, and would you do something big in their lives? Would you allow them to see that, that you've been pruning and shaping and, and, and bringing them to a point where they can grow? And God, would you increase our confidence that you are with us even in our struggles? So we thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You can hand it over here. Thanks, Ryan. Good morning, everyone. We get to celebrate one of two sacraments that Jesus gives us. So we have... We have communion, which we did last week, if you're here with us, and we have baptisms this time. It's such a special time, a, a visible representation. Nothing salvific about it. it. means it doesn't save you, but it's a beautiful representation of death to life, even just that branch. We were dead apart from Christ, but we've been made alive. And so I'm going to invite Bobby, and I'm going to invite Sophia up this morning with us. We have two getting baptized today, and I've had the pleasure just to connect with them. We'll start with Sophia this morning. You guys can stand right here. Yeah, you want to come up? Come on. Boom. Guys are, oh, Dave, help, look at you. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about them, and then I want to tell you what our response is this morning. So I'll start with the response for you. Family of Seacoast, get your lungs ready. Jonathan tried to get you to sing, but I want you to scream this morning because we're celebrating the physical, physical tangible act of the watery grave from death to life. And these lives that are just representing and say, we want to be marked by this. We want to let everybody know. I told them on the phone this week that I'm married and this ring doesn't make me married. Sometimes I forget to put it back on after washing the dishes or something. Yes, I do the dishes, husbands. Just a note, do some dishes. But sometimes I forget to put it back on, but I'm still married to Tara. She's still mine, I'm still hers. So this is just an outward expression of what's happening inwardly in these lives. So we'll start with Sophia. And Sophia... Uh, it was fun to talk to her. She thought she was already baptized. Um, and so she's been walking with Jesus and going through this journey and going, wait, I'm already baptized. And she gets on the call with her mom. 
And she says, no, you were dedicated as a child, which is different. Dedication is where we hold babies like that and we pray for them and Ryan gets to have his mic pulled off and it's super fun. And she was dedicated in front of the congregation to say like, we love her and support her and we'll walk with this family. And so when she realized she wasn't baptized, she was like, oh my gosh, what the heck is happening? And so she's gonna go over to Ryan now and I'm gonna read a verse on her behalf that, yeah, don't go in the shoes, that's good. Or do. A verse that stood out to her as she just thought of why she would want to get baptized is 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22. And it says, now this water symbolizes baptism that now also saves you, not from the removal of dirt and from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. So Sophia, here we go. All right, Sophia, is it uh, your desire today to publicly proclaim your faith in front of this church community? And because you've proclaimed your faith in Jesus Christ and made him Lord and Savior, it is my privilege and pleasure now to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I do. So good. Okay. Towel, good. Bobby. So, uh, we haven't known each other long, but I love you already. Love you too. Yeah, and it's so fun. So, Bobby's story is so fun, minus the feedback. Um, he, you represent a life that's just been changed. You had some church hurt growing up in the church and some trauma that made you go anything but the church. And through a series of events, God's just kind of wooed you back. You had this like desert experience literally where you just felt like God grabbed a hold of you and you said, I'm all in. And so you're like, what do I got to do? And you've only been here since Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. yeah. So Christmas Eve, God's just been grabbing a hold of his life and he's like, I'm all in. Dunk me. Let's go. <laughs> and so we're so excited for what God's doing in you. And just a note to Seacos, I think even in our text yesterday, you're like, I don't think I've ever met like a more loving community. So he's already like, how do I become a member here? And how do I, like, so you'll be preaching up here soon enough. I know, you know, so it's good. So I'm going to walk you over to the water, and uh, we're really excited for you to be a part of this. Oh, yeah. All right, Bobby, it's been uh, fun to get to know you and meet you on Christmas Eve and uh, uh, this month since then. And um, so just today, is it your desire to publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Awesome. And Bobby, because of that proclamation today, it is my privilege and pleasure, along with your church, to baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come on, so good. All right, church, come on, let's stand and celebrate. We're so good to be together. Let's end with this chorus. (laughs) 